1: you return that
2: I might live in my Father's house. It was God who made this building project possible. It's found in that phrase, the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. You see, God does His work and He does it sovereignly through various means. Here, he used David in battle to bring this whole thing together. For example, David, through his conquests, was also able to gather a lot of the materials that went into the building and the construction of the temple.
0: Today Pastor Mike reminds us that God is in control. We might not always understand why things are happening the way they are, but we can rest in the assurance that God is working things for good. We see a glimpse of this as King Solomon sets out to build the temple in Jerusalem. While his father David was constantly fighting Israel's enemies, God granted peace to Israel under Solomon's reign. Furthermore, God provided Solomon with access to the materials needed for the construction of the temple. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Kings chapter 5 as he begins his message, Building God's Temple.
2: We're going to be treating 1 Kings in chapter 5, and this message is a two-part, it's the first of a two-part message. The title of that message is Building God's Temple. So we'll get into the first part of that message, and then we'll get into it next week as well and, and close it out. So we're actually in a section, chapters 5 through 8. Now I'm going to begin by sharing a little overview of chapters five and six, and then we're going to get into our text in just a a moment. But once again, this is the first of a two-part message, the title, once again, Building God's Temple. So let's go ahead and begin in that word of prayer. Father, we pray now that you would bless the remainder of our time together, Lord, as we study your word. Lord, I pray that you'd minister to each one in that very relevant and personal way. Lord, tailor it to meet specific needs, encourage, challenge, Lord, rebuke if necessary, just have your way with us. God, I pray that every one of us would be just open to receive a view. Father, I pray that you would use this time to just draw us closer to you, fall more deeply in love with you. God, bless now. We thank you again for providing this opportunity. And as always, God would ask that my words would be your words, for we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so as I mentioned, let me begin with a quick overview of this section here in the book of First. Kings, chapters 5 and 6, before we get into our text. Okay, so Solomon, as we are about to discover, enters into an agreement with the king of Tyre, whose name was Hiram, for the materials and craftsmen to construct the temple of God. And that particular area of the, the world, the Phoenician people lived in that area, and the Phoenicians were extremely skilled builders. And so Solomon enlists there, help in the building of God's temple. Now, chapter 6 details the construction of this ornate temple, which took seven and a half years to complete. And again, we'll get into all of the particulars. We'll talk about the different areas of the temple, its construction, the different materials that were involved. We'll talk a little bit about that. But next week, we'll get into it in greater detail. Okay. so anyway, that's some background. That's that brief overview of chapters 5 and 6. So let's go ahead now and get into our text. Let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 5. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon because he heard that they had anointed him king in place of his father, for Hiram had always loved David. And so Hiram agrees to assisting in this project providing all of the necessary materials because of, notice, according to verse 1, because of his respect and fondness and love for Solomon's father, David. In fact, let's jump ahead quickly to verses 8 and 9 here in chapter 5. And there we are told, Then Hiram sent to Solomon, saying, I have considered the message which you sent me, and I will do all you desire concerning the cedar and cypress logs. Now, these cedar and cypress logs were legendary. They were excellent timber that were to go into the construction of the temple, and that's why Solomon sought to enlist the help of Hiram and these Phoenicians. Notice also then in verse 9, my servants shall bring them down from Lebanon, so they would cut the timber there, to the sea, I will float them in rafts by sea to the place you indicate to me, and will have them broken apart there, then you can take them away, and you shall fulfill my desire by giving food for my household. So that would be the compensation that Hiram was asking Solomon to give him. It was a yearly compensation, month by month. We'll talk some about what was involved in that compensation that Hiram had asked Solomon for. Now let's go back to our text, verses 2 through 4, chapter 5. Then Solomon sent to Hiram, saying, you know how my father David could not build a house for the name of the Lord, his God, because of the wars. Because of the fact, and we've we've talked about this in, in one of our past studies, he had shed much blood. And so therefore he was disqualified from actually building the holy temple of God where they would worship a holy God. And then also we are told, which were fought against him, on every side. So referring to all of the different enemies of Israel and David successful in all of his campaigns in defeating the enemies of Israel until the Lord put his foes under the soles of his feet. Notice the mention that it was God who enabled David to get the victory over Israel's enemies. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side and there is neither adversary nor evil Occurrence. So, what we are told here is David paved the way for his son Solomon to build the temple, subduing all of Israel's enemies. Now, why was this important? Well, think about it. This project would have been impossible to complete, that is the building of the temple, if Israel would have been at war, because we know that war siphons time and resources away from other concerns. But notice now, Solomon makes mention of the fact that he has peace on all sides. But also notice, let's go back to verse 4 for a moment. I want to draw your attention to something else that I think is significant. Solomon is not under any illusions. He gives all of the credit to God. It was God who made this building project possible. It's found in that phrase, the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. You see, God does his work and he does it sovereignly through various means. Here, he used David in battle to bring this whole thing together. For example, David, through his conquests, was also able to gather a lot of the materials that went into the building and the construction of the temple. In fact, in 1 Chronicles, in chapter 29, and verse 2, now for the house of my God I have prepared. With all my might, gold for things to be made of gold. And all of these resources, all of the materials, was gathered together through the conquest of David, passed along now to his son for the construction of the temple. Silver for things of silver. Bronze for things of bronze. Iron for things of iron. Wood for things of wood. Onyx stones, stones to be set. Glistening stones of various colors all kinds of precious stones and marble slabs in abundance." Okay, so, you know, if you think about it, isn't it strange the way that God goes about doing this? And all of what is taking place here, the building and the construction of the temple, was God's work. And he did that work sovereignly. And, you know, I just want you to think for a moment about God's sovereign work in our own lives. And how unusual, often he does that work. I mean, it's so strange at times the way that God does things. Let me give you a cross reference for this in the book of Isaiah, in chapter fifty-five, in verses eight and nine. There we are told, you know, I mean, if I was going to construct a temple, I would have never planned for the construction in this way. But that, you know, God's ways are not our ways. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is God speaking. Nor are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Verse nine. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And isn't that interesting, you know, we're faced with some kind of a situation, a dilemma in our life's experience, and you know, we make our appeal unto the Lord to help us and you know to get us out of those kinds of situations. And and often we give God the blueprint on how He should go out, you know, about responding to those appeals that we've made to him, the prayers that we've offered. But it seems as if oftentimes he just ignores our plans, and he just does it sovereignly in a completely different way. And often that's the case. You know, there's, there's an interesting verse of scripture. I'm going to ask you to turn there, because I don't, I don't have it in my notes. But I just kind of added it as I was tweaking my message this morning over a cup of coffee. And I thought that this would really be relevant to the point that I'm trying to to make. In the book of Philippians, chapter one. So quickly, if you'll turn there with me. Philippians chapter one, verses 12 through 14. Now, let me set this up for you. Paul has been now in prison, and he wrote this epistle to the church at Philippi while he was in prison. It's known as one of Paul's prison epistles. And through a series of circumstances, Paul now is in Rome. He is being held, incarcerated. He's awaiting a trial. He's made his appeal unto Caesar, so he's there in Rome. And notice, uh, let's go ahead and read that text. So Philippians chapter 1 and verses 12 through 14. And, And let me also add that, you know what? If Paul hadn't been incarcerated and shut down for a season, he would have never written that epistle to the church at Philippi nor would he have written the other epistles that are known as the prison epistles. Because you know how Paul was. You know, he would just, you know, he would go to one place and either have success or he would be shut down or thrown into prison. He would be let out of prison, but then he would just go off into the next city and do it all over again. So there would have never been an opportunity, a time for Paul, to just sit and write these epistles that have become such a blessing to the church over the centuries. So we see this, it's just a part of God's sovereign work. And Paul knew this, and he testifies to that fact here in this section of Philippians chapter 1. So in verse 12, "...but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel." so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my change are in Christ. So you know, not only did he have now the opportunity to write the prison epistles, but he also had an opportunity to influence the people that were holding him while he was incarcerated there in Rome. I'm talking about, as he was a prisoner, uh, those soldiers that were holding him. And many of those soldiers had actually given their lives to Christ because of this very fact. In fact, there was actually a church house that began there where Paul was being held through his incarceration. Verse 13, so again, that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So the disciples of the Lord were emboldened by that fact. They realized that nothing could shut down the preaching of the gospel. So once again the sovereign work of God. And God does things, you know, so you know, so often in strange ways. But you know the outcome we can only explain our circumstances and our outcomes by putting God behind them. Isn't that true? So once again, God's ways are not our ways. His ways are so much higher than ours. So anyway, the rest that God gave to Israel, remember Solomon said that he had rest on every side, can only come from him. Only God can give peace, whether it be world peace or peace in the human heart. Remember, Jesus himself said in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 11 in verse 28, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And only God can do that. Only Jesus, the Prince of Peace, can give you that kind of rest. And God had given Solomon rest from warfare. This was peace on every side. And so now, on with the building temple because of that peace, because of what God had done. So now, on with the building of the temple. But before we go ahead and consider its construction, let me remind you that God is still in the business of building temples. You say, what am I talking about? Well, I mean, each one of us is a temple which God is building. Let me give you a cross-reference. In the book of 1 Corinthians, in chapter 6, in verse 19, Paul himself said, your body is the temple of, of the Holy Spirit. You've been bought with a price, and you are no longer your own. You see, the church is not a mere human invention. She is God's, and it is a product of His grace. You are His building. You are His field. You are His household, His dwelling place, and His flock. He chose us, and He gave us His Son, who purchased us by his own blood. And that's the reason why Paul reminds us that we are no longer our own. We have been bought with a price. You know, in the book of Philippians, and, and you hear me use this reference a lot. It's one of my favorite verses in all of the New Testament. In the book of Philippians in chapter 2, in verse 13, there we are told that it is God who works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do you understand the implication of that statement? You wouldn't even have a desire to want to will and to do of God's pleasure unless he put that within us. Think about that. So it's all of God's grace. God is just bringing us along, right? He's building us his temple, his dwelling place. But listen, let me also add, This grace of God in giving all to worship, you know, having that inclination now, that desire to want to know God, know Him better, worship Him, give ourselves to furthering His kingdom, to work alongside, together with Him. This grace of God in giving all to worship Him does not negate human responsibility. You see, we still have to respond to that grace of God, that calling of God within our lives. God gave Solomon, I want you to think about this, all that was necessary for him to build the temple, all of the resources, all of the manpower, all of the wisdom, but notice Solomon still had to act. And chapter 5, here in 1 Kings, is about Solomon acting. Notice, go back to our text, there in verse 2, we are told that Solomon, first of all, he sent to Hiram. In verse 11, he gave Hiram 20,000 measures of cores of wheat, and, and I, we mentioned this last time together in, in measurements, one measure equaled 10 bushels, so 10 bushels of wheat, so just multiply the 20,000 measures by 10, so that would be 200,000 bushels of wheat in one calendar year, that was Hiram's compensation over that period of a year. Notice also, he raised up a large labor force. Let's go back now to chapter 5. It's recorded first in verses 13 through 16, so let's go ahead and read that. Then King Solomon raised up a labor force out of all Israel, and the labor force was 30,000 men. The point that I'm trying to make is that Solomon didn't sit idly by, but he acted, You see, God gave him the plan, God gave him the blueprint, God put it on his heart, but it didn't negate him, you know, not doing anything. He acted upon it. And so, there in verse 13, again, then King Solomon raised up a labor force out of all Israel, and the labor force was 30,000 men. So, 30,000 men were enlisted for this building project, and he sent them to Lebanon, where they were cutting down the trees and and then sending them off towards Jerusalem. 10,000 a month in shifts. They were one month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adoniram was in charge of the labor force. And Solomon had 70,000 who carried burdens, so laborers, and 80,000 who quarried stones in the mountains. And then also, as it was on Solomon's part to act, he commanded them, notice in verses 17 and 18. In other words, Solomon was the chief architect. Verses 17 and 18 we read, and the king commanded them to quarry large stones, costly stones, and hewn stones to lay the foundation of the temple. And so Solomon's builders, Hiram's builders, and the Gebelites quarried them, and they prepared timber, and stones to build the temple. Notice also in verse 16, I skipped over it, it says, beside the 3,300 from the chiefs of Solomon's deputies who supervised the people who labored in the work. In other words, these guys sort of acted like foremans for this whole task. So anyway, the whole is buzzing now with activity. And so in the same way, let's bring this down to personal terms, how does this relate to you and to me? Well, in the same way, God doesn't build believers. Remember now, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't build believers by telling them to kick back and do nothing. He builds us as we give ourselves rigorously to activity. Now, what kind of activity am I referring to? Well, how about the study of the word? And notice I put that first upon the list. We need to place a high premium upon the study of the Word of God. If you want to be a temple that brings glory unto the Lord, this is one of the activities that we must constantly be engaged in, and that is the study of the Word of God. We must be committed to mortifying our flesh, to bring our flesh under subjection to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We need to be men and women of Prayer. We need to be men and women of worship. And, of course, we need to continue in faith. Now, I want you to think about this. In this analogy here, have you ever, you know, in your area where you live, maybe here in New York, have you ever seen a building project that is just sitting? And, you know, it began quite well. There was a lot of buzz about, you know, maybe a new high-rise that was going to be built in your Area and where you live, maybe right here in Manhattan. And they started well, but, you know, it's been months now, and you've noticed that no one is working on that building any longer.
1: In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I lost.
0: the book of 1 Kings opens with the death of King David and the rise of Solomon. When he was given a choice, Solomon asked the Lord for wisdom, and it pleased the Lord. From 1 Kings 3, 11 through 13 we read God's response. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. I give you a wise and discerning mind. I also give you what you have not asked, both riches and honor. What are you asking God for today? God was pleased with Solomon's request and gave him all he asked and more. Are your requests pleasing to God? We're so glad you've joined us here on In My Father's House as Pastor Mike Fenizio makes his way through the book of 1 Kings. This book is filled with rich history that shows us the character of God. Pastor Mike has a lot more to share with you as he continues through this book, and we have other messages stored for you on our website. Head on over to HarvestNYC.org to find teachings on a wide variety of topics. Once again, that's HarvestNYC.org. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship. Located in Midtown Manhattan, we're easy to find. There's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. You can check out our website for times. Well, we've come to the end of our time together today. Be sure to plan on joining us again next time for more from First Kings right here on In My Father's House. Oh
1: my heart, not be troubled